Welcome back, Beard Fingers. <laughs> if you are new here, my name's Sita, and this is Catherine. <laughs> and we're a podcast about fashion and current events with a business and social justice lens. We just want to remind everyone to follow us on our social media platforms where we will discuss some of the topics that we brought up in different episodes and uh, can, can create more of a discussion. So we have our Twitter, which is at statementpiece underscore with the capital S and a capital P. And we also have our Instagram, which is statementpiecepod. And then we have our LinkedIn, which is statementpiece industry entertainment. And we also have our Facebook page, statementpiece colon the podcast. So please like, follow, retweet, and connect with us. Yes, we'd love to hear any suggestions or feedback. If there's anyone specific you would like us to interview, we're all ears. Yes, and we post quotes and excerpts of our podcasts, and we plan on utilizing interactive features within our social media to include that content in the podcast as well. So feel free to interact with us. (laughs) (laughs) All right, should we get started with some current events? What is happening in the world? Yes. Okay, so to speak to current events, what's happening in the world today? Two main things happened in the Supreme Court. So one being the abortion law in Louisiana. It was invalidated by the Supreme Court with a vote of five to four, and the law would have basically closed down two of the three abortion clinics within the state, which was really similar to a law proposed in Texas a couple years ago, but that was also invalidated. And this whole idea behind it was that the court ruled, um, the court ruled that there would be little medical benefit in requiring doctors to obtain admitting privileges at a hospital before performing abortion. So all three clinics will still remain open. In addition, the Supreme Court also gave religious schools more access to state aid. This whole idea was that religious schools would have the same access to scholarships and funds as private schools. This was seen as a victory for conservatives. Yes. And additionally, to move towards pop culture, there was some drama in the beauty guru world. Tati continued the narrative on drama that began last year between James Charles, Jeffree Star, herself, and Shane Dawson, and she released a very long video titled Breaking My Silence, which is how I feel when I unmute myself on Zoom. (laughs) (laughs) Additionally, in the pop culture world, this was a big week financially for the Kardashians, which inspired this week's episode theme, which is fashion and beauty mergers and acquisitions. On June 29th, Cody, a global beauty company announced that it would acquire a 20% stake in KKW Kim Kardashian West Cosmetics line for 200 million ultimately valuing KKW at 1 billion which has a very similar tone to the Cody deal that they had in 2019 with Kylie Jenner's beauty business Kylie Cosmetics where they took a 51% stake for 600 million dollars additionally on July 1st Kanye West announced that he would be taking on a $100 million deal with The Gap. According to a Forbes article titled Gap's $100 million Kanye West deal may not save the fledgling brand by Corey Hale, the deal is specifically outlined as a 10-year deal to create an iteration of his Yeezy branded clothing line for the retailer. For West, his total stake should be worth more than $100 million at the current share price, and e-commerce sales were up 13% year-over-year during the quarter, 
with stores shutting down, but in general, the Gap has not been doing well. Their valuation has been decreasing. I think that's a, an interesting point in that I feel like the Gap was very much a part of that mall culture where you would go to the mall and walk around and that just happened to be one of the stores that was there. Like I think of every mall I've ever been to and a Gap store was there. Or especially as people are favoring e-commerce a lot more and buying things from the comfort of their own home. I feel like you have a lot more options to pick from and the Gap may not be the first choice because it's not the convenience store that's accessible to you right there and then. Right. So where do you see the artistic direction of his Yeezy products being taken? I don't know. That should be... I'm actually really interested to see where it goes because like, there are many different things he could do, right? Like take the brand and try package it into something else. Like I think of Vetements, right? Like they took a lot of older popular trends or things that are very much regular in our society and turned it into high fashion. Now I don't think it's going to be on that scale because he's going to be working at a lower value price, I guess, for each product. So you're not going to have like these really intricate designs, <laughs> but I don't know if it's going to be that or if he's going to kind of have his own rendition of Yeezy, which I don't know how original that would be if it's just like sweatshirts and sweatpants, that type of thing, and shoes, but just at a lower quality. Not sure about that. Or if it's going to be like he just has some creative input and then Gap kind of has a whole new style. I guess his creative direction is contingent on what the sales look like. Right. It and should be interesting to see if he can push the Gap into the right direction, though. Like, I'm really, really excited to see that, actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm wondering if the Gap is kind of following suit with collaborations that other companies have done. Like, I think of H&M. They've done a lot of designer collaborations. Mm. And same with Target. And those have done really well for those companies. Or that whole group that the Gap is within, including Old Navy, Banana Republic, those types of stores. I don't know if they've done a designer collaboration like that. What are the Target collaborations? Target did one with Lily Pulitzer a while ago. They did one with Neiman Marcus and that had a bunch of designers within it. Oh. including Marc Jacobs, like Carolina Herrera. And then they did a more recent one that was with the dresses. I actually walked by it the other day in the store. Wow, H&M has done quite a few collaborations. H&M x Billie Eilish, H&M x like Balmain. Like in that case, it works to these companies' benefit, having these des designers come in or these designer collaborations because it's exactly what Kanye is marketing this idea that you have these luxury goods or luxury designs that you then make more affordable and more accessible. Right. Well, moving towards the KKW M&A deal, thoughts on this, Otis? <laughs> <laughs> well, one, I think it's interesting because I would not expect Cody as a huge company to invest in to invest in two people within the same family because... Even when KKW Beauty came out, I was kind of confused because I thought, oh, Kylie's kind of already in that realm. Why is another person in the family doing that? Mm -hmm. You know? But I do see how Kylie could be marketed towards more of like the younger generation and teens and young adults and Kim more so the mom generation. 
<laughs> but I feel like even our generation or anyone who's above the age of 18 uses KKW. But I also have tried KKW, the contour kits, which I've bought two of, which is very rare for me to do because I don't usually buy multiples of one product unless I really like it. But I really did like that product. I think it was really easy to use and it looked pretty natural. But yeah, back um, to Cody. I think it, I still think it's interesting how they took a majority stake in Kylie's and then it's only 20% in Kim's. So I wonder if in the future there'll be more transparency about why that happened or if Kim is taking more of a larger role. I almost feel like she chose to give 20% be because of Kylie's recent scandal with Forbes about the Cody valuations being falsified. So maybe she wanted to have less of a financial stake in it so that there would be less of an investigation oh. and potential for scandal interesting theory i love that i also wonder speaking to her stake in yeezy i wonder if they had a prenup because if they split everything down the middle right like mm. he would own so much of her businesses but i don't think that's necessarily the case on our very favorite reliable source mirror <laughs> why kim kardashian and kanye west prenup agreement now looks worthless published on may 22nd 2019 mm -hmm. Okay, it writes, when Kim Kardashian and Kanye West looked to tie the knot, there was a little wrangling done before the big day as both parties signed a prenuptial agreement. He came into the relationship with a $100 million fortune. And the main part of the agreement was that Kim would receive $1 million for every year that they are married for the first 10 years. Kim's fortune was then only a third of Kanye's clocking in at $30 million. Hmm. Yeah, but I think it will be interesting to see where Cody and Kim will go with KKW Beauty because I feel like she has a good eye and a good pulse on her other businesses such as KKW Fragrance and also her shapewear brand Skims which I didn't know this but it is now also sold it's not just direct to consumer but it's also sold in Nordstrom which I thought was another interesting kind of place for it to be sold because I also think similar to The Gap and Yeezy and Kanye West kind of having his role in it. I feel like Skims kind of helps bring up Nordstrom's brand because I think, I mean, like all department stores, they are very tailored towards the demographic that's in the area of the store. Mm -hmm. But I feel like a lot of department stores that are found very much nationally and not necessarily just big cities tend to not have the most like up and coming designers and new trendy items, right? Like they're looking at more items that are going to be appealing to the general American public. So I think it was interesting on Nordstrom's part and also definitely beneficial on Kim's part for it to be sold nationally and also on their, on the Nordstrom website. Right. I don't know. I guess it's interesting that she would take the risk to move beyond her DDC model because I feel like celebrities can capitalize on their social media following to launch a D2C business model and make mm -hmm. it very successful because they don't need that many resources. They can rely on Shopify, which Kylie Cosmetics does as a platform, and they don't need a marketing team. So all they really need is tech people and maybe a few business strategists and manufacturers. Yeah, that's definitely right. Like seeing it in department stores, you kind of lose some of that autonomy. 
Yeah. It reminds me of this, this the, informational document. The International Mergers and Acquisitions Partnership Publication for Fashion and Apparel, which is an M&A sector report for yes. February 2018. Yes, and this document brought up some fashion industry trends such as the decline of break and murder stores, dynamic within the fashion cycle, savvy, sophisticated, and purposeful consumers, technological disruption, cost-cutting, and restructuring activity up, emerging markets, and fair fashion. So I feel like we talked about fair fashion in our last episode and kind of the dynamic within the fashion cycle as well, more so including information about the shift away from fast fashion and slowing down the process and then also this rising consumer awareness for sustainability and fair trade and moving away from greenwashing and this need for way to measure whether or not a company is sustainable and green but i think what these direct-to-consumer opportunities allow for and follow within these fashion industry trends are not only the decline of brick and mortar stores because i feel like that was one thing that kylie cosmetics really grew off of because they had no stores in the beginning everything was online and i think even kkw fragrance did that too and it was this whole Mm -hmm. discussion of how do you buy a fragrance that you haven't even smelled before but then it allowed them to have more access to online expansion you don't need to worry about productivity within stores or the customer experience and i feel like what you're saying in that these people and influencers specifically the kardashian family in general already have this huge social media following and following on many different platforms is where you kind of follow that trend that IMAP proposes, which is the savvy, sophisticated, and purposeful consumers. Because I think to these consumers, Kylie, for example, when she was doing her own marketing, is kind of driving customer decisions through different channels, such as showing all the different swatches, like how things apply, what you could use it for, stuff like that, and kind of creating this brand loyalty without having to invest any money. So I think you can really see that. And I feel like other companies are trying to follow suit, right? Like I know during the pandemic and the rise of the pandemic, fast fashion retailers are having to invest more into e-commerce. So I know Zara has done that. And I think a lot of other brands have been following suit where they're closing a lot of their stores and moving towards the technological disruption trend, you know, and where shopping becomes more accessible and you still kind of get that experience of going through a store, but it's all online. Right. This IMAP report has different bullet points under every single fashion industry trend. There is some reflection of how social media is impacting things. For instance, under number three, savvy, sophisticated and purposeful consumer, one of the bullets is social media influences brand loyalty with regard to luxury brands, but also in daily fashion. Being the preferred brand is the key to success. And what better way to become the preferred brand than to have a personality behind a brand? Mm -hmm. And if you have such a huge following and personality and you build that out, especially through social media, it paves the way for things like transparency because you can do things like manufacturing tour videos and factory videos, which is what Kylie has done. She's taken us to the Kylie Cosmetics office, done a tour there. And that obviously cultivated a huge following, especially because that's where she's saying rise and shine. 
And then, <laughs> and then she did a factory tour video and she'll constantly do those kind of transparent activities that try to demonstrate kind of the brand voice. Yeah. And I think then going back to mergers and acquisitions, like having that transparency in one of your brands then doesn't have to necessarily translate, but I think it can kind of boost the brand behind Cody, for example, right? So going back to this IMAP report, it talks about large online acquisitions, for example, ways in which larger companies can either follow trends or expand operations or expand their technological expertise. So Walmart is one of them where, like I said earlier, they're kind of focusing on e-commerce and fashion. And this is specifically in order to compete against Amazon. But basically, they acquired a social media company named Cosmix to help accelerate their social and mobile commerce. And then they also acquired Jet.com, which has a lot of technology and customer database. It, it was similar to a, an Amazon type of platform in the past. And then they also looked at other online apparel retailers like Bonobos, ModCloth, ShoeBuy, and Moosejaw to look at more upscale fashion e-tailers. Another group that did a similar thing was the Ukes and Netta Porter group. And so they kind of leverage their technological expertise in addition to geographical expansion and the group coming together allowed for luxury or allowed for expansion within the luxury fashion industry and specifically which was one of the trends listed earlier tapping into emerging markets such as the middle east so basically this was a venture with the company pbr which is now carrying which for those of you who don't know is the owner of gucci puma and saint laurent paris to create more online stores for the brands. And then they acquired Netta Porter, which is a huge online women's, specifically luxury retail, lure for fashion. And then they entered into a venture with Symphony Investments to specifically grow into the Middle East fashion market. Right. And I think that as fashion and beauty continues to grow and especially social media's role in it and just the attraction around the celebrity brand interplaying with a brand voice and beauty brands will continue to see famous founders being an increasing part of those kind of e-commerce sites. And it relates to an article titled Kylie Jenner and new technologies are making beauty deals increasingly more attractive and complex which was published by the Fashion Law on June 16th, 2020. And in it, it details various M&A deals and social media's interaction with that in particular and e-commerce as well. And so it discusses how one striking element in recent deals in the space, famous founders. Many M&A deals have targeted the next generation of beauty success stories by going after the rapidly changing face of the beauty industry where the impact of social media has exploded and the power of YouTube and Instagram influencers has proved transformative, which I think even relates to our current news update regarding the Tati drama. I mean, even people who don't personally purchase or know about Tati's products are suddenly made aware of the beauty guru world just because this drama is going down between beauty gurus. And then all of a sudden, there's attraction around the products that all of them are pushing. No, I agree. And I think it's very easy for larger groups such as Cody to take under these celebrities and personalities because they already have this brand as a person, these values and ideals that the regular consumer associates with that person. 
So to take that under, you're kind of selling this lifestyle almost, you know? Yes, definitely. Well, tracing back to this, the fashion law article, one interesting portion that was noted is in the very beginning of the article where it writes, recent high profile beauty M&A deals coupled with current economic uncertainty have brought renewed interest in the lipstick index. Leonard Lauder, the former chairman of Estee Lauder, coined the term during the 2001 recession upon seeing the rise in lipstick sales, which in his mind indicated that women facing an uncertain environment turned to beauty products as an affordable indulgence while they cut back on more expensive items, such as Gucci handbags or Chanel garments, which I think is especially interesting, especially during this COVID era where we're seeing a recession come about and the beauty industry is still doing well. It's the current state of the economy, bringing people towards beauty products as opposed to fashion, I think can definitely be validated by a McKinsey report titled How COVID-19 is Changing the World of Beauty, which was published on May 5th, 2020. And in it, it details the fact that increased online sales are indeed happening during the COVID economy. However, it is not offsetting the decline in in in-store sales, which I think is believable because so many brick and mortar operations are closed internationally, but there are still increased online sales, which shows that people are still willing to invest in beauty during the COVID economy, which does uphold the theory that the former Estee Lauder chairman had. And it's kind of interesting because, as you said, fashion and beauty are different industries, even though they have a lot of similar interactions and industry leaders. But even in the economy, they interact differently. So although the lipstick index is a phenomenon that can happen, there is another BBC article titled Coronavirus, Why the Fashion Industry Faces an Existential Crisis by Stephen McIntosh, which was published on April 30th, 2020. And in it, it discusses how clothing sales plummeted by 34% in March. This is an industry which is almost entirely dependent on physical retail. More than 80% of in- transactions in the fashion industry still happen in physical stores, which is something that the CEO of the business of fashion, Imrad Ahmed, stated. The fashion industry is built upon brick and mortar, whereas beauty can be a D2C online model. And then they thus have different fiscal interactions as well with their consumers. Hmm. I don't know. I almost seem like that's a little counterintuitive because I feel like some beauty products, specifically if you think about foundation or concealer, stuff like that, where you need to kind of see it in person to get it color matched. Like I know that was a big thing when Kylie cosmetics and kkw beauty came out with more of like the face based products like how do you match yourself completely correctly but then i guess during this covid era even if you went to a brick and mortar store you wouldn't be able to test it because i know a lot of stores like ulta for example got rid of every single tester they had to tape them up Mm. whereas i feel like for myself at least it's really easy for me to find something online fashion wise And especially because I know that fashion items are a lot more lenient on return policies, whereas beauty products, if you open it, that's pretty much it. Like Sephora has a lenient policy, but then as someone who supports sustainability or tries to at least, like I don't like knowing that, oh, I buy a product from Sephora and I don't like it, I can return it, but then that's just going into wastage, you know? Right. So for me, it's kind of interesting to see that brick and mortar stores are still being so successful in the 
fashion industry, but maybe not so much in the beauty industry. Yeah. It's definitely a change with technology. That's for sure. Yeah. Exactly what you're saying, that DTC model. Mm -hmm. And just the general commodification of celebrity brands, especially Mm -hmm. as they're learning to become smarter. Right. At one point, I feel like the market just kind of has to get smaller. Like, I wonder if having these big conglomerates will actually cause companies to shut down in a sense. Mm -hmm. So I think as people are smarter about the companies that they're kind of investing their dollar into, like how many companies can really withstand all of that, you know? I think although the market is becoming increasingly saturated, as Gen Z becomes the main bulk of consumers... And especially the ones that are feeding the most into social media and technological DTC sites, the market will become less saturated as Gen Z divests from companies that don't take part in sustainable practices and Mm -hmm. ethical practices, which I think relates to our last episode as well. And just generally the focus of this entire podcast. Would you whip up the takeaways for us? (laughs) Sure thing, Catherine. (laughs) I think it'll be interesting to see how companies participate in M&A specifically because I think reasons to buy would include either integrating your supply chain and streamlining different processes or expanding, such as expanding to a new geographical location or a new product type, a new demographic, which I think will be really big, or maybe even a new brand, such as what we see with kind of Yeezy and The Gap. And then also I think technology will be a huge focus in the future, especially as online stores have more of a presence and have a social media following. I think larger conglomerates are going to be more likely to buy companies like those and leverage the technology that's already existent. I also think another reason why M&A may happen is that it may be harder for some of these smaller or older companies to follow these new trends and kind of compete in that. and merging with a company that or a brand that may already be doing so well with consumers is an easy way to operate within this fast-changing environment of the fashion industry. Yeah, I think that M&A could definitely increase, especially as a result of COVID, because of a Vogue business article published on April 5th, 2020, titled Luxury M&A Activity Could Pick Up Post-Crisis. This article writes, specifically from a quote by Pierre Malavez, founder and managing partner at financial advisory firm Savigny Partners. Coronavirus hit the luxury industry hard, with stock market valuations of luxury groups shedding a third of their value or more since the middle of January. Markets have recovered somewhat, but we are still down some 20 to 25% for the stronger groups and more for others. So with this in mind, as luxury companies are kind of on a downward spiral, larger conglomerates like LVMH and Caring will be more willing and looking to swallow up their competitors that are suffering and unable to survive the COVID economy. And so the article continues to say that uncertainty is not a favorable environment for deal making, so the dust would need to settle before activity continues, but opportunities remain. Luxury remains a cash-rich sector with high profitability and margins, and there will be opportunities for the better capitalized groups after the crisis. There are three types of likely targets in the luxury sector for this M&A period. The first being publicly traded companies without a majority controlling shareholder. And after the Tiffany acquisition by LVMH, 
there are few targets of this kind. The most notable company remaining is Burberry. The British Heritage label is also one of the few sizable targets in the market. The company's share prices have tumbled by approximately 40% since the beginning of the year, making Burberry a more appealing target due to a cheaper acquisition price. The article also details that financially solid, family-controlled businesses are ones to watch for potential M&A deals. Controlling families could be less inclined to consider the possibility to sell. But in this category, there are brands like Chopard, Prada, which has an 80% stake being owned by the family, and finally Chanel. So that leaves Prada and Chanel to be vulnerable to economic decline and M&A deals in the future. So as you can see, M&A definitely could continue to pick up, especially due to COVID. Mm. I think that's interesting because I think of companies like Prada and Chanel specifically as such classics and iconic fashion houses within the industry that there's really nothing that could compare or replace them. So I don't know of economic downturn. I mean, yes, it could happen, but I feel like they have such a powerful role in fashion's history that I'm not sure that consumers would let that happen. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little conflicted about that. But for myself, I would hate to see that happen. Because you think it would devalue the fashion identity? Well, even when you think about like fashion history in general, right? Like these were the original designers, even Saint Laurent, the whole rebranding that they went through, I feel like it loses some of the history. And I think the history is like still an important part to consider. Mm -hmm. What kind of history do you think it's missing now? Well, I think they moved from the designer and moved towards this whole brand, which is easier to sell in my mind because before the company was, oh, it was this fashion house in France. And now I feel like it's more so, oh, here's this global company where all the bags pretty much look the same. You know, like you have the recognizable branding and that's what people are going to know it by. That specific mm-hmm. shape or that specific that specific font, you know? Right. And Chanel specifically, like I don't know if there's anything that could replace it. Especially after Carl, after Carl Lagerfeld passed away. Obviously, I think Chanel has lost one of its key people in a sense so that's it's still kind of unwritten to see where the company is going to go creatively at least i don't know like knowing that the family is still part of it i feel like it still holds on to that history because i feel like even when you think about the beauty industry right like cody picking up kylie cosmetics is a way to pick up something that is so different from what is existent in the beauty industry currently right like it's not cover girl it's not neutrogena it's kylie cosmetics maybe it's maybelline (laughs) (laughs) but it's this bright and shiny new brand whereas in the fashion industry although there's pros and cons to this i feel like it's good that there is this historical component Yeah, well, to assuage your worries, the Vogue (laughs) Business article writes that the Chanel chief financial officer, Philippe Blondial, reiterated last June that the company was not for sale. And I think Prada is also trying to keep it in the family as well. I mean, just earlier today, being July 1st, the Business of Fashion Daily Digest released an interview that they did with Lorenzo Bertelli, the son of Prada Group co-chief executives Miuccia Prada and Patrizio Bertelli. So Miuccia Prada is trying to make her son Lorenzo the heir apparent, Mm -hmm. and they're really setting him up to do so. Mm -hmm. And it writes that they're trying to do so as it plays catch up with luxury peers under the co-creative direction of Mrs. Prada and Ralph Simmons. Mm. 
Interesting. So I think that Prada is also another company that while Vogue business may predict that they are a likely target for M&A, they are unlikely to give up their company. I mean, they're already setting themselves up to continue the family line. Mm. And I feel like that's almost the difference between fashion and beauty, right? Like beauty, I think it's common for a company that starts off with makeup to kind of move into more of skincare and hair, you know, like I, I can list off maybe a couple companies that have already done that. And it seems like Kylie Cosmetics is kind of moving in that direction. Whereas I feel like fashion with this historical component, there's a certain brand that you stick to or a certain story that you stick to that is kind of the thread that weaves throughout the company. Well, I think that is a good concluding thought that fashion and beauty are clearly different industries and they're often coupled together because they have a lot of similar overlapping aspects and assumptions surrounding its potentially vain consumers and influencers are very similar as well but we can see in the way that the brands interact with one another and within themselves and also the way that the economy even responds to these different industries, that they are clearly very different. And you can't necessarily couple them together and make assumptions about both. Because even when it comes to things like consumption and savings, they react differently. And as for our listeners, I feel like we can all still be dutiful consumers and stay informed on these mergers and acquisitions and see where the industries are going and what companies are doing. And if they are taking on new missions or values that you support. My overall thought is that it'll be interesting to see how far companies will go. Like at this point, it almost seems like there's an infinite amount of opportunities and growth available for companies and how much money they can make, which is insane to me. But how far companies will go and how many will come together before monopolizing certain sectors of both the fashion and beauty industry. Yeah, I think due diligence is definitely something that we have to hold one another accountable for when we're looking to be ethical investors and to vote with our dollar. And although this particular episode was really business oriented, I think your point is definitely good to bring up because we try to focus our podcast with both a business and social justice lens. And a lot of this podcast discuss people like the Kardashians, which are obviously branded as being extremely problematic and appropriating a lot of Black culture. So while they are such a large brand, there are considerations about voting with your dollar there as well. And even there are rumors that Kylie and Kendall haven't been paying their workers in Bangladesh. And even as we discuss companies with a business lens, it's important to continue to move forward with this ethical, sustainable voting with your dollar lens in the social mm -hmm. justice sense too. Yeah. And I think that's a great way to end today's episode. Thank you all for listening. Remember to Follow us on all our social media platforms. And if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment. We will definitely read it. Certainly. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's all for today, folks. Do, 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 do.